Thanks for listening to the Church at Severn Run Messages podcast. You can find more information about the church at severnrun.com. Enjoy the message. Now, it sounds like one of the most simple questions in all of the world. What time is it? And uh, if I were to ask you that question, um, some of you all would immediately pull out your phones. Um, some of you would be pulling out your, your uh, Apple watches and you'd be going, oh, you asked me what time it is, did you? Why, right here it is, you know, and proudly show us your, uh, your Apple watch. Um, but the reality is that question is one of life's most important questions because Knowing what time it is, is not just a matter of the hour of the day, but also of the season of the life. And, and knowing the season of life has to do with understanding how then should I live next. Oddly, I mean, I love the scriptures. I'm, I continue always to be amazed, continue to, to learn. And there's so many things in scripture that are kind of like cryptic and like behind this, there's such a story and you'd love to be able to, to go back and to see like, what's the story behind this? And, and in 1 Chronicles 12, 32, uh, David is becoming king and he's gathering all these different groups and tribes to himself. And so it's just listing through all the people that are coming to join King David. And then it gets to verse 32 and talks about the men of Issachar. These were men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. So these were guys who just had a supernatural understanding, a, a kind of sixth sense of, of what reality was. And which is ironic because everybody's seeing the same reality except not. And the men of Issachar were not just alive in their time, but they were, they were in tune with their time. They understood their time, and, and they understood not only their time, but how to respond in it, what to do next. And that is a rare quality. But that really is what it means to know what time it is. You see, misinterpreting a season of life means missing the life of that season. And... If you're a father and you're all about in this season, your career and getting ahead, um, and that's your focus, and everything else kind of at home is a distraction, well, you don't know what time it is, because it's time to be dad. It's time to love your kids and to be present to them in a way that no one else on earth can. And if you leave a hole, it's there for life. If you're, um, you know, in, in a season and you're still grieving last um, and, and you're missing the present, then you don't know that it's a new season. It's time to go to Father for healing. It's time to begin again. That's what time it is for you. It's time to hope again. And so to know that it's time to heal, it's time to hope, it's time to let go, it's time to move forward, it's time to, to choose, it's time to repent, it's time to, to buck up, it's time to show courage, to know what time it is, is the most important thing really in life. And part of believing Jesus is thinking about time like he thinks about time. 
you know, we just celebrated Easter. And a part of what we did at Easter was we just affirmed the reality of the time when Jesus came. And he came, the Son of God, in a very unexpected way. Nobody would have scripted this story for God to come in such apparent weakness to a couple of nobody parents. And then when God arrives and has so much saving work to do that he, he waits 30 years to begin it and lives most of his life as a carpenter before he begins building not furniture but a kingdom. And in two, two and a half, maybe three years, he changes the world. And then to top it all off, he suffers and dies and pays for our sin and raises on the third day to beat our biggest enemy, which is death. And, and that is the reality of what God did in time. But you need to know there is another time coming and Jesus is coming again. Um, and I don't say this a whole lot and encourage a whole lot, but that deserves an amen. <laughs> Jesus is coming again. That's a reality of time. It is, it is something that is true, and, and we are called to live in anticipation, ordering the time we're given in light of the time that he's coming. And to believe in Jesus means to think about our time and times differently. It's time to live up to the second coming. Hebrews 9.28 says, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The first time, Jesus came as the sin bearer. The second time, he's coming to bring home, not church people, not Baptists, not Catholics, not Presbyterians. He's not coming uh, to bring people who have high religious knowledge. He's not coming to bring people who've attended every single week or every other week for life. But he's coming to bring back people who are, hey guys, the key is on the screen. What is it? This is not good enough, guys. I know it's 1230. <laughs> But he's coming to, to bring those who are what? Waiting for him. And, and that's the key to everything. Is that, that he's coming to bring home a group of people who've been living with their lives re restructured, reordered according to the time of his first coming and an anticipation of his second. All of life is changed because Jesus came in time and he lived through their time very differently. Guys, this is the defining reality of, of our next and of our now. That the one who came is coming and how then should we live in the middle of those events? We're going to talk a lot in the days to come about John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, it's the story of the Samaritan woman. Um, it's a story of, of a woman broken and, and, and hurting like most of humanity. Jesus builds bridges. He has intriguing conversations. He, he asks questions. He loves. He tears down walls. He leads. He invites her to commit, and she does. And when she commits, she, she runs back to her village, and she, she says this, come and, and meet a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? 
And as Jesus is about to say what I'm about to share with you next, he's speaking to his disciples. And, and all of the village is, is streaming up to, to hear with excitement and anticipation, what in the world is this woman talking about, this, this Messiah? And so Jesus says this, Do you not say four more months and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Now, I know that most of us don't farm. I know that most of us aren't familiar with agriculture. Very few of us grew up on a farm. How many of y'all did or do? Okay, how many of y'all garden? How many garden? I want to see hands. Okay, vegetable or flower? How many flower? Hands raised. How many garden? Uh, Vegetables? How many do both? All right, for those of you who love fresh vegetables, um, look around and see those who raise their hand and just let them know what you'd like. I'm sure they'd be happy to help you. Tomatoes, carrots, uh, we have some, you know, some jalapenos going, so just invite them to bless you. That, that's how you approach that, okay? I just want to invite you to bless me this summer. If you, if you plant, then you pay attention to the times, you don't plant in January, you know. You, you know how important the seasons are, and you pay attention to the time, and you order your actions according to the times. And that's what your success is built on. So you and I are not a part of an agricultural society. But we can still get what Jesus is talking about. Jesus always uses the familiar to, to lead us to what is unfamiliar. He uses what's known to reveal what's unknown. And here Jesus is saying, look, look out on the fields. And there's a double sense because he's talking not only, not, even, not only talking, he's visually referring to both what's in the ground and growing and what's on the path and coming up the hill. And again, he's speaking to his disciples. These are believers. And he said, he said don't you say four more months. Don't you understand the times? Don't you know that when it's, when it's night, it's night. When it's day, it's day. Don't you understand the time the sun comes out and the time the sun goes down? And, and there's a time when, when the flowers come out and there's a time when the snow falls. Don't you understand the seasons and know how to anticipate and order your living according to that? So here's what I'm saying to you. Open your eyes. Wake up. Think. I tell you that that if you'll look at the fields, you'll see they are ripe for harvest. And, And what this means is, it means this, that people everywhere are ready to commit to Christ. But few people who are committed to Christ are willing to lead them. And so Jesus is pleading with his own disciples, people who claim to believe. He's saying, I want you to believe me and understand. You stand here amazed that this woman's life has been changed. You stand here amazed at all those who are coming because of my work in her life. But don't be. Expect it. Live expecting people to come to know Jesus. Don't live like Eeyore. Guys, you, you may be, uh, you know, of the, of the crowd that is just, you know, the, the politics of our nation is just killing you. You, you may be of the, the crowd that's just, you know, always bemoaning the state of our nation and, and, you know, America's going to hell in a handbasket. Well, here's what I say to that. Do something about it. Jesus did. And, and a part of what we're called to do is to live with holy expectation and, and divine anticipation. 
But most of the time, we don't live expecting the, the people who are indifferent to God to ever come to know Jesus. We, we don't live expecting lost people to flock to Jesus. We think there are very few people out there who are ready to come to know Christ. And, and I'm just telling you, it's, it's crazy. Another word for living without divine expectation is called unbelief. We act like God has done a terrible job of reaching the world. Because we look around and we say, well, people aren't coming, so they must not be ready. Jesus has told us why people aren't coming. And it's not because they're not ready. People are not coming because we are not going. And so I want to tell you, it's time to go. Because people everywhere, according to Jesus, now here's a fundamental decision we have to make. Do I believe myself or do I believe my Savior? Do I live out of what I feel or do I live out of the clear truth of what Jesus said? Now, on the surface, it sounds like an easy answer, but in the living, it's not. It's easy to say the right words with your mouth, but it's a whole other thing to live them and, and to live them from, from a soul-deep place. So, we look around and, and we say, well, people, you know, they just won't believe, they just won't come. Guys, we are nuts. It took 600 churches to reach 1,200 people in Maryland and Delaware last year. Not 600 believers. 600 believers to reach 1,200 people would be pretty pathetic. 600 churches only reached 1,200 out of three and a half plus million people. And, and you and I are all sitting here acting like it's okay. Now, now, please understand something for a minute. Nancy Beach one time said at a conference we were at, she said, you know, life and, and ministry is kind of like a series of hard conversations. And so I need to have a little bit of a hard conversation with you today. Because the truth is, how we're living right now is really dysfunctional. And here's the crazy thing, and I'm putting crazy in air quotes. Please don't be offended, anybody. I'm not using that as a technical term. <laughs> but here's the crazy thing about dysfunction. The more you live with it, the more dadgum normal it seems. We've talked about this analogy on a number of times. A man's driving in the car with his family. They slide off the, the, the road into the river, and the car is upside down in the river, and the bubbles are coming up. And the man's standing on the shore. Just before it went off, you know, he, he jumped out the window and landed on the bank, and he's standing there on the bank. And other cars see this, and they, they come rolling up, and they come running up to him and, and say, Man, are you okay? And he goes, Yeah, yeah, it was a close one, but I, I'm okay. And they say, well, was well, anybody else in the car? Yeah, yeah, it was full. My, my whole family was in there. Well, well, what, well, there's bubbles coming up, man. Do something. Why, why, why aren't you going after them? Well, I just got this suit back from the cleaners. And, and this tie is pure silk. And that, that water is mucky. It's, it's, it's murky. It's cold. And if I go in there, I'm going to get my suit. I'm going to ruin it. And look at these shoes. These shoes will never be the same. And, and, and here's the crazy part. We're, we're like not only that kind of crazy thinking, but we're like the people coming up and going, oh, yeah, I see your point. Okay, yeah, well, 
all right. And we are so used to watching men and women and boys and girls go to hell that it doesn't bother us anymore. We just don't believe it can be any different. And so here's, here's some hallmarks of a dysfunctional family. In a dysfunctional family, one person is the emotional center and nobody else really has an emotional life. Everybody just kind of centers around that person. In a dysfunctional family, you keep secrets and you don't talk about obvious problems. You know, um, in, in a dysfunctional family, um, and, and here's the craziest thing about it all, um, crazy isn't crazy anymore. And that's even a deeper crazy than the other. We adapt to dysfunctional behavior. We accept it. And, and there's something that bends us deeply in accepting wrong as right. And if we came up to that guy on the shore in his nice suit with his family drowning in the car, we would not buy into his logic and his argument and say it's okay. We'd say, you're nuts. And if you're not going in, I am. Guys, Jesus said, open your eyes, church. You're asleep in the light. You're, you're wrapped up in your own issues, your own problems, your own, your own stuff. When I came down to earth and died to bear your stuff, don't you remember what we, what we said, the, the scripture in Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, that surely he has borne our infirmities. He's carried our iniquities. All that is broken in us has been answered by all that is whole in Jesus. And, and, and it's like we are free of ourselves and we're, we're free to, to, to go, to help. Our lives are taken care of. But the way the church has responded is, is still massively like we're just a bunch of self-centered consumers. Like, like, you know, we're shopping for what's best for me. What helps me? You know, what, what's the, the best program for me and, and what do I like? And, and, and I'm just telling you, that's crazy talk. Open your eyes. People everywhere, according to Jesus, not just a few of them, not just a couple of them, not just one here or there. People everywhere are Jesus. Jesus is offering us a new view of America. He's offering us a new view of Baltimore. He's offering us a new view of Severn, of Odenton, of, of Glen Burnie, Pasadena, Curtis Bay, Baltimore, uh, you know, Pigtown. He's offering us a new view of life. And his view of life says that if we open our eyes, we will see that people everywhere are ready. And the problem is not their lack of readiness or the work of God actively in their lives. It's our unwillingness to go. Jesus told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, man, we should be praying for lost people right and left. We have to. And I, if you know anybody, if your neighbors are not, if they have not committed their lives to Christ, you should be praying passionately for everyone who doesn't know Jesus. But here's something interesting. Even though we should be doing this, Jesus had to start at a place that was even before that. He, he never told us to pray for the lost. We should, but he didn't tell us because he had to deal with our own unbelief first. Jesus told us to pray that saved people would be stirred by 
simple passion and empathy to be moved by the Holy Spirit to see the broken in our world and move towards it. Guys, I'm telling you, we can all live in this world like a bunch of leaky buckets. Never having enough for us. Never, um, you know, always leaking, stuffing gum in the holes and, and always dissatisfied, always, always angry, always sad, always, you know, do you know what time it is? This isn't time for heaven yet. That's coming. This is time for going. I, I just want to say to you, some of you may never be happy on earth. Do you want to know why? Because you weren't designed to be happy in the absence of God. And, and it's hard in a broken world. And it hurts in a world in which every moment we're living, we have to be fighting off death. You know that your body right now is fighting off death, this moment. You know, there are microbes and bacteria and a whole bunch of other stuff Marcia could tell us about, about things that are trying to kill us. If our body stopped its fight for life, if your immune system quit for an afternoon, you're pretty much gone. This world is trying to kill you. And you think you can be happy at home here? So, so please listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. You, you may never be happy here, but you can have joy, and you can have hope, and you can have peace, and you can have love, and you can have passion, and you can have purpose, and you can make an incredible difference, and you can experience the deepest satisfaction of, of all obedience to your Heavenly Father. And to hear, even before you hear the, the echo of his whisper, well done, my, my daughter. Good job, my son. Guys, you and I weren't designed to live on planet Earth for us. Our needs have been met by Jesus. You know, we are, are living under Niagara Falls, thirsty, acting like we're in the middle of the Mojave Desert. Everything you need for life and godliness has been given to you in Jesus. Do you know it's time to trust? Do you know it's time to receive? Do you know it's time to live with courage? And do you know that it's time to go? Jesus said it's time to go. And ironically, what keeps most Christians from going <laughs> is the belief they don't have enough time. I don't have time to do that. Um, well, here's the simple truth. You don't know how much time you do have on planet Earth. Talked to a fellow a couple of days ago, and I was just stunned myself that what we thought was a very successful surgery has now changed into brain cancer that is not curable, humanly speaking. We never saw this coming. Do you know what time it is? Do you know how little time you have left on earth or how much? 
do you understand that to believe in Jesus is to frame your life in light of his first coming and anticipation of his second coming and the rest of your life gets ordered on those priorities. That's how you then live. Not to be home here on earth, but to prepare for going home. Our soldiers, they don't go into battle. They, they haven't gone into Iraq. They haven't gone into Afghanistan. They haven't gone into these other places um, uh, believing that that was home. No, it's time for battle. And they live in that time anticipating the ability to go home and to be at home. And we live in the battle anticipating the time when we will be at home in heaven, where we will not have to struggle. There will be no more pain, no more crying, no more pain, no more weeping, for the old order have passed away and everything will be made new. That time is coming. But this isn't it yet. We're on the riverbank and the cars in the river and people are drowning and they want to be saved. They want to be saved. And sometimes we reach out for somebody in those situations and they're fighting us, but really they're just in a panic and they don't know what to do. And if we will just be Jesus, we will find they want to live. And they want to breathe the air of God's love. And, and the issue is not that the, the world does not want to come to know Christ. It's just we don't want to go and tell them. Do you not say, four more months and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. They are ripe for harvest. They are ripe for harvest. We need to become a church of 5,000 disciples. Not because I love large churches, but because I want 5,000 less people to go to hell. And I don't think shooting for 0.00135% of the population is really actually shooting very high. I don't want another generation of kids to grow up living in hell at home. And if that dad can be saved, then he becomes Jesus at home and they get blessed and their whole world changes. I want 5,000 more marriages to have a chance to last instead of ending up in, in despair. I want alcoholics to come to know Christ. I want drug addicts to, to understand that there is a power that can free them. I, 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 want, I want broken and hurting people who literally feel like hell to live the hope of heaven. Do we really care about these people? Or are we so wrapped up in our own life and in, in our own leaking bucket that that's going to be how we spend our time? I want you to think about the phrase, open your eyes. What does that mean? Right now, what we're doing is saying that reality isn't out there. There's no way that tens of thousands of people are going to come to know Jesus. Jesus said, that's wrong. Jesus said, believe. There's a supernatural release of the Holy Spirit that happens when we believe. I know that we're all doers and we like to do things and, 
and we feel like nothing is really happening unless we're doing something. But the truth is, in the spiritual realm, when you believe, there is a supernatural um, movement of God that actually changes reality. In Matthew 7.20, Jesus said, Because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth, that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And so you might say, well, I just don't have enough faith. Really? Think about that verse. It's not a bowling ball. It's not even a marble. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, Jesus said, you change the world. So is the case that our faith is too small or that it's non-existent? 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And we are making a pivot. You know, when a football player is running down the field and he sees a defender coming after him, he, he plants a foot and he pivots and takes another direction. Same in basketball, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shifting movement of, of the course. And, and that's what we're doing at the Church of Seven Run. It's not going to happen slowly. It's not going to happen in two or three months. This isn't a fad. Um, but you watch what happens in six months. Watch what happens in a year. Watch what happens in two, three, four, five years if, if we believe Jesus. We will see the harvest. Next week, I'm going to tell you my own story of being one of those people that nobody saw. And I'm telling you, there was hell in my home that didn't have to be there and hell in my heart that Jesus had already answered long before, years before I ever heard about it because nobody ever told me. And all around us in our nice looking little suburban houses, there are people who are inside fighting each other, fighting for life, drowning in pain, and we have the answer, and they are ready. This very day, a young man who just accepted Christ in January came up to me. A perfect definition of somebody who's ready, but, but, but wasn't. <laughs> He was fighting to stay as far away from Jesus as he could. He was more ready than he knew. And when somebody finally came and walked with him and shared Jesus with him, he accepted Christ. And here's what he said. He said, he said once I, I turned my, my face and began considering the claims of Christ, I, I couldn't get him out of my mind. I, I couldn't rationally disprove and walk away from what he said. On the outside, I was telling everybody no and fighting hard against it. On the inside, I was ready. And here's what he said to me today. He said, I'm starting a, I'm starting a small group to go after people like me. And I said, you got it. You're a Christian since winter and you got it. And some of us have been Christians all our lives and we don't open your eyes, Drew. Open your eyes. Can you see anything in life besides yourself? Can you see anything in life besides your own pain, your own needs? Can you, can you dare to believe that Jesus has got you? You're okay. He's caught you. And now all you have to do is live your freedom to see other people. So this is not the primary direction of the message, but I just want to say if you're here and you've never committed your life to Jesus, I want to ask you in a high-cost way that's going to mess up your life in the most beautiful way possible to commit your life to Jesus.
It's going to mess up your brokenness. It's going to mess up your stupidity. It's going to lead you to what's right and true, and your life is going to be filled with the awe and wonder of God if you'll commit to Christ. Will you commit your life to Christ? How? What's well, right here? Um, you, you, you stay afterwards. We'll, we'll stay all day. If you know any authentic believers, uh, set them down and, and ask them. I'm asking you to make the commitment. But the message is really directed in a way for all of us who are believers here, and it's, it's not a message really that is a kind of a surface, like run for the altar kind of a, a response today so much as it is to think deeply about it and decide whether you're in or out. Whether you believe what Jesus said or, or whether you're going to hold on to our way of not believing that, that people can and will come to Jesus, and so we don't even try. If you think something's impossible, you don't try it. But if you dare to read scripture and you hear God say life-wrecking things like I am the Lord of God of all mankind in Jeremiah 32, 27, is anything too hard for me? Oh, well, then now the impossible isn't. So I did it last week and I'm going to do it again. And I want to share with you how you get on the road. It's not hard. Number one, repent. Think differently. Um, be reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says. What that means is, whatever's wrong between you and God, don't let it stay wrong. Go back to the cross. God's already done it. If you're staying distant from God as though you've got to wait for something to happen, God's already done it all on the cross. Run to Jesus and get right with him. Let him love you. Let him carry away all that stands between you two and, and fall into Father's arms. Return to your first love. Some of you here are believers, and there was a time in your life where you were passionately close to Jesus Christ. You were, you were on fire for him at some point in your life. Those days are long gone. And your life right now, all there is is an ember of the past and just a little bit of smoke rising. Revelation 2.4 says, I have one thing against you. you have, you've left your first love. Return. Second, don't worry about being qualified. You know, in our, in our old nature, in our flesh, we say, I don't know enough. I'm not qualified. I can't do this. Well, you're right. So get over it. Um, the truth is, who shared Jesus better than anyone? The answer is, Sunday school answer, you can always say it and be right. Jesus. And, and, and who lives inside of you if you believe? Do you think that Jesus, who knew brilliantly how to share himself with people um, in, in his own body, do you, do you not understand that he, that he knows how to do the same in yours? Oh, he does. <laughs> so don't worry about being unqualified. He's qualified, and he'll do it through you, through the Holy Spirit. Just let him. Third, live prayer-empowered. Spend heart-changing heart time with Father. If you're filled with anxiety, stay in the presence of God and soak until you have peace. If you're hopeless, stay in the presence of the God of hope until you have hope. Um, if, if you're burdened about something, then soak in Father's presence until, until the burden is lifted. Pray until something happens. It's called a push prayer. 
And again, as an aside, we need to build. There are people praying right now in this service for you guys. We need to become a house of prayer on Wednesday nights. We're, we're not just building a traditional prayer meeting where we don't pray. No, on Wednesday nights, we, can, we need a couple of hundred prayer warriors to come together and pray for the anointing of God on, on not just our church, but every church, and, and for another great awakening before Jesus comes. Fourth, get on the road. You got to go. It's time to go. Be intentional. Live with a sense of holy expectation. Don't, don't look at the world the same way you did before. Don't look at the world with closed eyes. Look at the world recognizing that everyone you see is more ready than you know if only you will have the courage to lead them. You, you, you've got you to build intriguing relationships with people. <laughs> That's what Jesus did. When they met him, they were intrigued by what was inside of him. And you can do the same. You know, don't be a know-it-all. Don't be odd for God. Um, just let Jesus come through you. The Spirit will show you how to do this. And, and, and God's already at work in every life. You just got to believe that. Fifth, listen. Don't just be a talker. Listen. Find common ground. As, as John Bailey listened to this man who was a convict, and John's not a convict. He's, he's an IT guy. You'd think, well, they've got nothing in common. Oh, yeah, they do. <laughs> a, they're human beings. B, they're broken. Um, see, they both need Jesus, and oh yeah, through listening, John discovers this guy is a broken-hearted dad. Bridge built, conversation going, salvation coming. Sixth, ignite spiritual uh, interest through inspired questions. The Holy Spirit will give them to you. Ask, ask good questions. Seventh, lead people towards a commitment. Don't be so mamby-pamby about this whole gospel thing. Lead people towards a commitment and, and make it a high-cost commitment. Um, ask them, has anyone ever shared with you how to have a personal relationship with Jesus? Any of y'all fish? Ladies, men, no fishermen here? Got a couple, we got several fishermen here. Have you ever fished and, and, and gotten the, boat, the, the fish like this close to the boat or the dock and then it, it gets away? Frustrating. Learn how to dip the net and bring the fish in. Eight, tell your Jesus story. Speak the name of Jesus early and often. Tell people what great things God has done for you. And if you have nothing to tell them, then go back and see point number one, which says repent, be reconciled, return to your first love, and let God give you a great story of things that he's done in your life. Lastly, never push and never condemn. You don't know where you are along the journey. It takes often multiple times to hear the gospel before you finally understand. And if I come across a woman who's three months pregnant, I'm not going to try to push and have the baby delivered now. That's probably called assault, right? On the other hand, and I pray, dear Lord, never let this happen. If I come along a woman who's nine months pregnant and little baby's crowning and nobody else is around and she's saying, help, I'm going to go, okay. Good luck with that, you know. No, when it's time to deliver the baby, deliver the baby. Know what time it is. Follow the Spirit's lead and give people as much of the message as they're willing to receive. So in the deepest kind of way, I'm simply asking you today to not let this message go in one ear and out the other. This is a pivot point. I'm asking you to think on it, to soak in it, to decide what you believe. And I'm just asking, is there really, honestly, is there anyone here who believes what Jesus said? 
that the fields are white to harvest, that it's time, and that if we lead, people will follow and come to Christ in numbers that will astound us. That's how the world gets changed. And it's the purpose that you're looking for in your life. Do you know what time it is? If you enjoyed today's message, feel free to share it with your friends. And as we like to say, love well, live Jesus, and believe big.